Steve Rogers, uh, Captain America, was born on July 4th, 1918. He crashed into the Arctic in 1945 at the age of 27 before he thawed out 66 years later in 2011. That's 66 years in the ice. Um, after first service, they told me that Captain America is not based on a true story, that it's a, it's a fictional movie. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just, just uh, I thought it was real. No, I'm just kidding. I really didn't. But could you imagine uh, 66 years and then waking up and you're in the, the same place, but things are different. For our younger people, um, what you've lived so far, it, there hasn't probably been too much change. Um, but you've probably heard of this, this special time period. Uh, you don't really read it in the history books. Uh, you don't see it in the Bible, but you hear about it. It's this, this wonderful time period called the good old days. Yeah, I know everyone's heard it. It was a, it was a time when uh, we used to play outside a lot. Um, when you got bored, you used your imagination and instead of getting a, a little mini computer out or a phone. Um, adults were always right in the good old days. I didn't really like that part so much. Um, most people respected the president, regardless of the, the political party they were affiliated with. I'm, I'm not much older uh, than, than some of you younger people here, but when I was growing up, we weren't all given trophies. Most people here called themselves Christians. It was, it was odd. Even if someone didn't go to church uh, or know anything about the Bible, uh, when I was in school, they, most kids even, they just said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Um, generally, you could trust your neighbors. People in general uh, were trustworthy. We were taught in school that there was a difference between a man and a woman. I know that's, that's kind of pushing it and a little challenging, um, but that's just, that's what we were taught. Uh, the good old days were like waking up in Disney World every single day. Yeah. When I was younger, I was, I was told of a very special time period before my time. And wouldn't you know that it was also called the, the good old days. That's, that's just how it's been. We always look back. The good old days were always better. I don't know. When I think about, uh, about now to when I was younger and then even before that, um, maybe we didn't uh, talk so much about the ozone layer or vaping or marijuana use and addictions. But through the, the good old days came the rise of processed food, which has destroyed our bodies. Uh, smoking, um, we still see the effects of that as it's still the leading preventable cause of disease and death in the United States for adults. As far as uh, things like domestic abuse, I read this. Since the 1970s, intimate partner homicides have dramatically declined, but much of the de decrease is due to fewer women killing their male partners. The advent of restraining orders, domestic violence shelters, more liberal divorce laws have allowed women to more easily leave their abusers, resulting in fewer male deaths. So you have, uh, in the good old days, abuse was tolerated more, allowed more. There wasn't, there wasn't ways out, so women just shot their husbands if they were beating them. It's kind of a good thing that some of this is, has changed, right? When Captain America came out uh, of the ice in 2011, it was a shock, I'm sure to look around and see what's allowed. But uh, when he went in, the ice in 1945, and again, it's fictional, but um, the history isn't. There was a war. World War II was just ending. Hitler had just slaughtered six million Jews. The good old days, uh, they weren't necessarily all that good. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is the world always changes and there will always be bad. I, well, I say always, but there's, there's actually a, there's a, there's a, there was a time when um, when things were good, the good old days. Back in Genesis 1, first chapter of the Bible, verse 27. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31, God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. All right, so you think, well, well, that, that probably lasted a long time, and it probably just got bad in the 1900s, maybe, maybe the 2000s. Now, sin entered the picture very quickly. Uh, there was the first sibling rivalry. Cain murdered his brother, Abel, because of jealousy, and it continued from down there. And in Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. It didn't take very long. The good old days didn't last very long. Six chapters in, and we read that the Lord grieved. He was troubled that he made us because of our wickedness, because of our evil. In Jesus' time, the corruption was very strong among the poor, uh, against the poor and the women, corruption among the religious. In Paul's time, he writes to the Christians in, uh, in, in Corinth about the Greek gods and goddesses that were being worshipped, and, and even uh, in order to please the, the goddess Aphrodite, men were to have relations with temple priestesses. I mean, it was disturbing. And this is the world they lived in. And so throughout history, followers of, of God have always had to live next to people who didn't follow God or fear him or obey him or love him. And so how do we go about this? How do we live our life if this is what's around us? So what do we want for those people around us who are not following God? What do we want? Why do we care so much how the person who doesn't come to this church lives their life as well? As we move through, through this real prayer series, we're going to look at a guy who had to deal with this, uh, a prophet named Habakkuk. And his name means to wrestle or to embrace. And you'll see that's what he does uh, with God here. Uh, so we're going to look then at Habakkuk's prayer. It's in the whole book of Habakkuk, which is only three chapters, 56 verses. It takes about 10 minutes to read it all. Now, I'm not going to read it all. I just want to outline this, this whole book. Um, so God has a conversation with Habakkuk, and we call that prayer, and we talk and we listen to God. And, and it starts out, uh, Habakkuk talks to God, and then God responds, and then Habakkuk talks, and then God responds, and then Habakkuk talks, and, and that's it. Um, and it begins this way in, in Habakkuk 1.1, uh, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. And so we know that this was an actual conversation between him and God. Verse 2, his prayer starts this way. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Injustice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So first I see here, this is a prayer of judgment. This is, that's, that's his tone here. Just like always, the world appears to be going downhill to Habakkuk. Um, he, he sees it falling apart. He sees unfairness. He says, God, I don't like the direction we're headed. Why do you allow suffering to happen? Why do you allow this to go on? Specifically, he uses words like violence, injustice, wrongdoing, destruction, strife, conflict. He says the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. Or maybe how we would say it, a small number of people are ruining it for everyone. Yeah, there's a few people that are getting into our education system and our political system, and, and they're, they're changing the country so much, and I don't like it. Seems like Habakkuk's living in our time. 
I misspoke last week. I said that, that uh, it wouldn't be personal. Now, it's not personal loss or tragedy, but you'll notice Habakkuk takes this very personally. He's very upset uh, the way things are. Verse 2, he says, um, he says that in two different times, God, I asked you for help, but you didn't do anything. In verse 3, he says, why do you make me look at this injustice? Very personal. He says that all the bad is before me. Habakkuk hates what is going on in his world. It's all about him. And he, he's asking God to explain himself. God, why aren't you doing something about it? He appears to be mad and confused and disappointed, and he wants justice, so he prays for judgment against the corrupt people. God, do something about those people. Take care of them so I don't have to live in this world anymore. And he gets what he wants. God answers. God says, you're going to be utterly amazed at what I'm going to do. I mean, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And I'm thinking something good's going to happen here. I know he's not going to flood the whole earth again. He promised that. Maybe a plague. It'll just people, all, the, all the evil people will just, just die one night. Uh, maybe he'll, he'll help us to have a religious war against the corruption, against the evil people. Now here's God's answer to Habakkuk. Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians. Yeah, this, that's a, a, a group of people who, uh, if you read through this text, they appear to be arrogant and all about themselves and show no mercy and they'll kill anyone, women, children, they'll wipe them out and God says, I'm going to raise them up. That would be like me saying, God, I'm just tired of the way the United States of America is going. Will you please just bring some judgment on, onto us, on, at least onto the evil people? And then, and then God says, all right, I'm going to raise up a foreign terrorist group, maybe ISIS, just going to wipe you out. That changed everything. Oh, man, Habakkuk's tone. He basically first says, you've got to be kidding me. I, I don't, I, that's, not what I, that's not what I meant. I don't really, that's, I mean, we're good. We're pretty good, generally speaking. Now that I think about it, like compared to, compared to this group that you're going to raise up, the Babylonians, we're not that bad, so I don't know if you want to do that. That's, that's not what I asked for. So back to God. Basically, he says, it's going to get worse. In time, the wicked will fall. But even in the bad, even when it hurts to look around, even when you just can't, you can't live with this, you're so disappointed in the way things are, actual text here, he says, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. You got to trust me. That's what he tells the back. You, even though you look around and you don't understand, and it doesn't make sense, and it's disappointing, trust me. Follow me. Don't stop. And then I came across a couple notes here. So um, I've been, uh, I always read the text. Very first thing, I read the scripture that I, I'm going to preach on. But I started listening to it as well. Um, one of my classes that I took, it, it was... Uh, Read it and listen to it. What do you hear differently? And I thought, that's really helpful. And so I listened to it on my phone, just hit play, and, and it reads it to me. And, uh, and everything changed when I, read, when I heard this. It was like I just skimmed over it because it didn't seem very important. But verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14, says this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple... Let all the earth be silent before him. This is not about Habakkuk. This is not about me. This is about God. That's the reminder. That's what God tells him. Hey, I know you're upset, but who's this really about? And then his, his, his tone, 
went from all about me to, oh wait, this is about you, God. At first it was, why God, why me? Why do, why do I have to live in this culture? Why do my kids have to grow up in this? I wish they could have grown up 30 years ago. I don't want them to have to grow up with all this wickedness around us. Why are you allowing this? And I, I just wonder, are we so upset that this is the direction we're going because we don't want it to be this way because of us or our kids or because people aren't worshiping God? Which one makes you more mad? When I say the world is changing and the laws are changing, the culture is changing, how do you feel? I, I get a little bit like a little bit angry. God's not being worshipped. How would you feel then? Does that make you just as mad? Would you rather you the, the United States be a, a country that all the laws fit to your needs and your standards or a place that reaches lost people? Now, I know there's a dilemma there. Um, they might, it might go together. We might move so far away from God's laws that we forget about him or we're not even allowed to, uh, to uh, come together and worship and talk about him. Uh, we we've, uh, are starting to become known as a hate group. Yeah, I can't stand the way that some groups are attacking Christians, and, and it's so hypocritical and one-sided. They want freedom. They've been calling us hypocrites for years, and now they say, oh, yeah, well, we want our freedom, but we don't want you to have yours. I've probably said s- some things already this morning that it, maybe in 10 years it might be illegal to say. It's tough. I get it. But do we care more selfishly because of ourselves, because of our, our families, or do we care more because we want God to be worshipped and we want the gospel to be shared to the lost? We do need to remember the light shines brightest in the darkest places. Maybe this is for God's glory. See, after God reminded Habakkuk that this was not about Habakkuk, this, is, this was about God, this is his, his new tone. Habakkuk 3.2 Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. See, instead of judgment, now all of a sudden he prays a prayer of mercy. Now both recognize sin, both recognize the sinner, both desire change. But when we stop focusing on our preferences and desires so much, our requests all of a sudden go from, I want you to destroy all the evil people, to, God, I pray that the evil people, who, who I think evil, it's my perception, I pray that they would know you. I pray that you would change their heart, that the gospel would transform those people as well. Don't destroy them. Have mercy on them. Because he's, I think he starts to realize, oh, wait, I'm not putting God number one, just like those people, so that doesn't make me any better than them. So have mercy on them. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on my family. It changes our tone and our attitude towards the lost, towards people that we might think of as, as bad changes how we feel about the other political party. It, it turns our anger from, from being expressed in a way that I just can't stand those people, I hate those people, to, man, I hope those people find Jesus. Because when we start to say it and we pray it, uh, then maybe we start to reach out to those people instead of judging them. When Habakkuk finally recognized the, the issue at hand was, actually it was probably him as much as anyone else, he finished his prayer like this. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. 
He enables me to tread on the heights. This is a prayer of gratitude. I didn't even think about Thanksgiving this week when I wrote this, um, but Colin mentioned it this morning. Like gratitude, yeah, this is definitely a time to be thankful that we have an opportunity. Even when the world seems to be falling apart and unfair and, and there's no justice, it's always felt that way. It's not just today. Habakkuk says, I will still rejoice in the Lord my God. I will place my hope in God. See, when we place our hope in people, we'll, we'll be let down. If you place your hope in your family and your friends and your church leaders and, and your school and your government, there will be disappointment. You won't always like everything that happens. I get, I'm the same way. But when we all place our hope in God, there's no other, there's no other response than joy or gratitude for what he did. What did God do? I want to, I want to read from this book again. I read last week. It's Hope in the Dark, Craig Rochelle. I just want to read a small section because I think he spells it out so well. I thought I marked my page. There we go. He says this. If you think about it, life wasn't fair to Jesus either. He was perfect in every way. Jesus loved the unlovable, healed the hurting, cared for the outcast, touched the untouchables. If we look at his story from God's vantage point, Jesus could make the same argument we make. Life isn't fair. It wasn't fair that Jesus had to be whipped, mocked, and beaten. It wasn't fair that Roman guards drove stakes through his wrists and heels, hanging him mercilessly on an instrument of torture and shame. It wasn't fair that they spat on him, called him names, and laughed when he struggled to breathe. It wasn't fair that Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, became the sacrifice for filthy, vile sinners like me. And so when you hurt, when you question, when you burst out into righteous confusion or anger, you may find comfort that God understands life is not fair. Most of us probably don't think much about the pain and anguish the, that God the Father surely experienced at this loss. Certainly, I don't want to project human emotions onto God, but since we are created in His image, and because we can see how God responds to His people throughout Scripture, expressing love, jealousy, and compassion, to just name a few emotions, I don't think it's a stretch to say that God suffered an enormous burden in sending His only Son to be born, into our sin-stained world. And that's what, that's what God did. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, the wife of a, a man named Jim Elliot, who was a missionary trying to take the gospel to an unreached people group, and was, was murdered along with, with, I think, four others. She, went, she, she lived through this, and she went back and she shared the gospel, but she knew what it was like to try to follow God and to still suffer, to still feel pain, even, even while trying to do something for God. And she said this, Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. I think about that. And why, why do kids, why are they um, abused or, or murdered or um, worse? I don't, you know, why does that happen in this world? Why doesn't God do something about it? He didn't for his own. But that doesn't change anything. We can't let the suffering and the tragedy, the brokenness in our fallen world, something that we've chosen in a way, that doesn't lead us to think any differently about God's love. We can't look to experiences. His love was made, made known through Jesus on the cross. His power was made known through the resurrection. We know that God loves us 
enough to send Jesus to die for us, and we know that he's powerful by raising him from the dead. And so let your prayer life guide you back to looking to God for the reasons for your faith, not what's going on in your life or in the world. And so we look to Jesus to find love, not condemnation. Personally, if you feel judged or condemned, Jesus died for you. And then we look to other people to love them, not to judge them or condemn them. And we trust God because he has and he always will be faithful. The world has changed, but God's love has not. If you need to know that, I pray that you would come forward and let's talk a little bit more about what God God did personally for you. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us and you're so faithful and we it's hard sometimes uh, to remember and to know uh, when, we, when we look at the news, when we look at uh, just what's going on in our lives. We know the challenges, and you do too, and you've, you've proven that you care. Uh, you've proven that, that you love us. You've proven that you are in control. And so let our hope uh, be in you, be in the hope of eternity, uh, that one day we will live in the good old days once again. Thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.